Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. So one thing that any experienced pastor should know is that you really have to be careful when you title a sermon because you're kind of setting yourself up. I know we talk about this principle often around here, the in then through principle, this idea that what God does through you, he often does in you first. And that's just experienced by pastors. I think quite often, it certainly is for me, where if I title a message, let's say that I title a message how to be patient, which I would never do. But let's just say I call the sermon How to Be Patient. If I do that, then what's gonna happen is that the week leading up to that sermon is just gonna be one thing after another that tests my patience, right? Like if you're preaching on patience, then you just need to expect that you're gonna be in the longest line that week and that you're gonna come out to a flat tire and that your charger isn't gonna charge your phone in the middle of the night for no apparent reason. Like your patience is gonna be tested because I think oftentimes what God does through you, he does in you first. So you gotta be careful. Kind of a rookie move on my part. When I started writing a book about a year and a half ago called When Your Way Isn't Working, I knew better. (laughs) Like I I tried to get it right. Like I I didn't call it when my way isn't working. I called it when you, your way, you, like y'all. Like it wasn't supposed to be about me. It was supposed to be about you. But God just has this thing that he does that before I can make it about you, he sometimes makes it about me. And so I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised when a number of months after I started working on that book, I heard from a friend of mine who said, hey, I don't think you've been yourself for a while. You should see a friend of mine who is an executive coach. I think, you, I think you'd be benefit from that, an executive coach. I'm like, well... Maybe, I mean, I, maybe I should do that. And I made this appointment, talked to the executive coach. A few minutes into the call, I'm like, you are not in it. You're a therapist who calls himself an executive coach. So people like me will make an appointment and talk to people like you. Like, it just became pretty clear. And he started talking to me about some things, asking me different questions about my life. And I found myself responding with this, these two responses. I was dismissive and defensive. And whenever you find yourself feeling dismissive and defensive, when someone's just trying to talk to you about your life, it's an indication that maybe your way in some area isn't working the way that it should or the way God has designed it to. So I knew this because I've talked to all of you enough to know that when you respond dismissively and defensively, it doesn't mean that I'm wrong. It it doesn't mean that I need to back off. Sometimes the more dismissive and defensive you are, the more I need to push in. Like this is just our reaction when we're confronted with some things about ourselves that we don't like. And so I had been writing this book, preparing for this book by talking to many of you. And I'd recognize this in some of you. And now I'm hearing it in myself. I I, I guess it was during that time I was just struck as a pastor by how many conversations I was having with people who were experiencing different emotions because their way wasn't working. They were frustrated and angry or they were just worn out and exhausted or they were just discouraged to the point of despair. And and the more I talked with people in the church, the more I recognized, man, this this is really an important message for 
the church for followers of Jesus during this time. And then I started to see that I need that message too. I talked with that executive coach a little bit more. He asked me more questions and, and I saw two more responses in myself that maybe you'll recognize, blame and complain. When I'm expressing my frustration over certain situations, this is what I was doing. I blame people, complain about circumstances that I had no control over. And so when you find yourself dismissive and defensive and you're blaming and complaining, it's a good indication that your way isn't working and really maybe what you need is to receive and respond. That your defensiveness and your dismissiveness, your blaming and complaining, really it's an invitation to receive some things and then respond, realign some areas of your life. He asked me this question in the middle of it while I was doing my blaming and complaining. He asked me this question and when he asked it, I was a little frustrated because it's supposed to be my question. He said, how, how would you say it's working for you? I'm like, you stole that from me. I, that's the question I ask. When I talk to people as a pastor, hey, how's it, how's it working for you? Can we just step back? I, I know you're kind of defensive about the position you're in or about the situation you find yourself, but how's it working for you? And I've asked this question all the time. I, I looked back over my notes, different people I'd asked it to as I prepared for this book. I, I asked it to a middle-aged man who had all the toys, but still, still felt empty. Like, how's it working for you? You think if you just keep getting more toys that that emptiness will go away? I, I asked it to an alcoholic who's trying to get over a second divorce. I asked it to a woman who, who seemed very much put together on the outside, but just felt like her life was out of control. I asked it to a young pastor who felt like it was his job to make everybody happy. How's that working for you? Is that working pretty well? I asked it to a CEO who's killing it at work, but only vaguely aware that he has little people running around the house when he gets home. I asked it to a longtime church member who was becoming more and more obsessed with what was happening in the news and in the culture and just feeling overwhelmed with anxiety and disillusioned with politics. It was just affecting everything in his life. How's that working for you? That working pretty well? So it's a question, I, when he asked it to me, well, I knew that's a question I ask people when other people recognize how it's working for them, but they don't see it. So when it was asked of me, I'm like, oh, do other people recognize this and I'm not the one who sees it? Because that's, that's usually when I ask the question. And it just brought me back to what was so, what is so foundational to us as followers of Jesus, but sounds too simple. Meaning when we find ourselves in a position where our way isn't working, we want something somewhat complicated we assume that because we're in a complicated situation that the solution to get out of it will be complicated. We wanna, we wanna work our way out of it by following a task list. We want some information that's gonna show us a different way. And yet what Jesus does is he calls us back to a deeper connection. And so a foundational passage of scripture for us as a church is John 15, where Jesus says to his closest followers, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can't do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he says this to them right before he's gonna be arrested to be crucified. He says this to them when he is very much aware that what they're going to face will be struggle and suffering and difficulty and challenge. He knows how they're gonna be treated by people. He knows that they're gonna feel overwhelmed by the mission 
that he gives them. He knows that they're gonna struggle with inadequacy when they try to step into that. Like he, he knows that if they try to do things their way, it's not gonna work. They're in, they'll end up being divided with one another, not getting along. If they try to do things their way, they're gonna end up exhausted, burn out, call it quits. If they try to do things their way, the discouragement will be too much. It'll give way to despair and they'll drop out. So Jesus says, look, here's the one thing I want you to remember and never forget. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Be the branch, stay connected to the vine. So that when your way isn't working, what do you do? Well, the instinct is more. I need to do more. But Jesus calls us to abide, to stay connected to him. The word in the NIV is remain. Remain in me as I remain in you. I think 11 times in that handful of verses, Jesus says, abide and remain, stay connected. And so that simple invitation tells us, this is what you do when your way isn't working. You, you focus on the connection. And so what I wanna do is take a few minutes as we begin this series to just diagnose the, the reality that your way isn't working. And there are a lot of words that you could replace with way like when your marriage isn't working, when your faith isn't working, when your health isn't working, when your parenting isn't working, when your dating isn't working. Like there's a lot of words you could replace there. But I wanna to talk to you about some emotions that tend to surface when your way isn't working and it's a result of a connection problem. It's a result of the branch not being connected to the vine. So we're gonna look at some common emotions to see if maybe that's where you're at. To help us with this, I, I wanna look at a passage of scripture from Luke 5. So John 15, Jesus is towards the end of his earthly ministry. Luke 5, he's at the beginning. And he's beginning to call disciples to follow him. And in Luke 5, we see Jesus having this interaction with Peter. At the time, Peter is still called Simon. And, and, and Peter finds himself in this position where his way doesn't work. And he's very aware that it. it's a very tangible expression of his way not working. He and his crew Remember, he's a fisherman, professional fisherman. They've had two boats out all night fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They come back early morning hours and they've got nothing to show for it. And so they've spent all night fishing. They've got nothing to show for it. They, they get their nets put away. Nothing more discouraging than that. It's your job, it's your livelihood. You don't catch anything, but you're still doing all the work, getting the nets put away. Just wanna go home, maybe try again the next day. But verse three tells us that Jesus shows up while they're putting everything away and he just gets in one of the boats. Doesn't appear that he asks for permission. He just gets in one of the boats and, and tells Peter to take him out into the water so he could preach from the boat and use the acoustics of the water to talk to the crowd. Verse four says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, now go out to where it's deeper and let down your nets. Let's go fishing. <sighs> I, Jesus, how about, um, how about no, right? Like we've been fishing all night. We don't have anything to show for it. How about, how about you stay in your lane? You, I'll leave the teaching to you. You leave the fishing to me. I, he's missed a night's sleep. His job was to fish. He hasn't caught any fish. Now Jesus says, hey, let's, let's go back out. Let's go back out and go fishing. Peter doesn't wanna do it. Here's how he says it. Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. You hear it, right? 
like, <clears throat> we've worked all night. We haven't caught anything. He's probably, I think at this point, wanting Jesus to say something like, oh, my bad, my bad. Yeah, no, no problem. You guys have already, maybe some other time. We've, we've worked all night. We've, we've put in the work and we've, we've put in the time and we don't have anything to show for it. And some of you know the frustration of this. Like you've put in the work as a parent and you've put in the time. You've read some books and you've tried to be more consistent and clear on expectations and you've worked on responding and not reacting. Like the whole thing. You've worked hard all night. It doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to be helping. Like your way isn't working. Or, or you've put in the work in your marriage, and you, you've read some books and listened to podcasts, you went to a seminar, you learned your spouse's love language only to find out that they're bilingual. Like, you've done it. You've, you've worked hard all night, and it doesn't, it seems that things are going not in a, a better direction, but in a worse direction. Like, your way isn't working. Or you've tried this at work, or you've tried it with your health, or you've tried it with your finances, and, and, and you keep pulling in the nets and they're just empty. You've tried it in your dating life, tried, tried to do things the right way, but the nets just always come back empty. Your way's not worked, and, and you can probably understand some of the emotion that Peter would have felt in this. Jesus, we've fished all night, and we don't have anything to show for it. I don't know how he said it. I kind of wonder if he, he whispered it, a little embarrassed. I mean, he's a professional fisherman, so maybe he's like... Uh, Hey, uh, we, actu we actually, we've actually been fishing all, all night and, uh, and we didn't catch, we didn't catch anything. Maybe he said it that way. Maybe he said it annoyed. <sighs> Jesus, we have been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. I think he may have said it with a sarcastic laugh. Like from what I know of Peter, I think maybe, you know, he's like, okay, you gotta be kidding me. We've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything and now we're gonna go fishing again? Like, I, I don't know how he said it. I just think that there's more emotion in this sentence than maybe we read as we read through the text. I, if my wife would have been on the boat with Peter, she would have said, Peter, well, let's use your feeling words. Like, how do you feel about it? Because there's some, what's, some emotion in it. And so what I wanna do is just, take a look at some common emotions that surface when our way isn't working. I think this was true for Peter. I know it's true for many of you. I know it's true for myself. And so I wanna talk through a few of these emotions that I think God gives us to indicate that something in our life is out of alignment and it needs attention. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, meaning that you could probably add another half a dozen emotions to this if you wanted to, but these are four emotions that I consistently see as a pastor and that I've personally experienced when my way wasn't working. So think of these emotions as like um, lights on a dashboard that are trying to get your attention, that God gives us emotions to signal that something is out of sync. Like the word emotion simply means to move. That's what the word means, to move. And our emotions are moving us somewhere and if we'll stop and pay attention to them, it can make a big difference. But a lot of us haven't been taught to think of emotions that way. We've, we've been taught there's only certain ways that you should feel and there are certain ways that you shouldn't feel and if you feel a way that you shouldn't feel, you should stop feeling that way and start feeling a different way and, and so we don't really stop and look at it. So think of these emotions as ways that God 
get your attention. My wife and I, right now, we both happen to be in this season where we uh, both have vehicles that have more than 100,000 miles on them. Some of you know what this is. It seems like something is always going wrong with them. And right now, I checked it before I spoke. We we have two check engine lights, one low coolant indicator. I don't even know what that is. And another that's like a triangle with an exclamation point in the center of the triangle. And I don't know what that means, but I'm guessing if there's an exclamation point, it's like your dashboard yelling at like, no, seriously, like your dashboard's trying to get your attention, but they've been that way. And we get something fixed and it comes back on. We get something fixed and it comes back on. They've been that way long enough that at this point, it's like Christmas lights. It's like decoration for the dashboard. We don't, we don't really see it. And so for some of you, for some of us, these emotions, we just look at them and we're like, well, yeah, but doesn't everybody feel this way? I mean, yes, that emotion describes me, but isn't that just part of the human condition? And so I wanna talk about these emotions, understanding that God as the manufacturer has hardwired some of these things into our system so that when they surface, it gets our attention. So not a comprehensive list, but things I consistently see. Number one is discouragement. It's a loss of confidence and enthusiasm. Again, you might look at discouragement and say, well, I feel a little bit discouraged every day. Yeah, okay, I mean, things happen. But this is a ongoing state where you just have lost confidence and you've lost enthusiasm. You just don't have much passion anymore. And, And if you have lived this way for a while, then chances are you know it. Like you're just struggling with a lack of confidence, a lack of enthusiasm. And when you live this way long enough, it just surfaces. It begins to affect you and the people around you. And there's lots of biblical examples that you could look to People who went through this, David, Elijah, Moses, there's plenty of them. Here's a second emotion that will surface on the dashboard is fatigue. It's just this extreme physical and mental tiredness that comes from a prolonged period um, or concentrated exertion. Like you were okay for a while, but then the weeks turned into months and maybe then the months turned into years. and, And this now just is who you are. You are just worn out. You've tried to work things your way and you worked at things your way for a long time. And after enough time of things not working, it's just left you this way. I think of Elijah when he sits under the tree and he just says to God, just take my life. I don't wanna live anymore. He's, he's just so tired of it all. And another emotion would be frustration. Uh, It's being upset or annoyed, especially because of an inability to change or achieve something. You've worked at it. You've tried to see some gains, but you don't don't see any difference. It doesn't seem to be working. And and the more you work at it without seeing anything, the more frustrated you become. And, And frustration is one of those things because it's connected to anger that begins to seep over into every area of your life. And so now you've just become this frustrated, irritable, easily upset person. One other emotion that I think would show up on the dashboard is anxiety. It's a feeling of worry or unease, typically when facing an imminent event or an uncertain outcome that you don't have any control over. Like you see that it's not working and you know you can't do anything about it. Like you can't change some things. And the more you look around, maybe at our culture or some things in our world, the more you're just aware that Man, things are going a direction and I don't feel like I can, I feel powerless to do anything. And then you feel anxiety or, or you feel like um, 
You, you have no control over someone's feelings towards you. And it creates all this anxiety. And, and the more you try to control their feelings, the, the less feelings they have for you. And it's just, it's just created this sense of anxiety and, and your way of handling it, it's not working. And so those four emotions, I think God has given us, again, you could add to it, but discouragement, fatigue, frustration, anxiety, I've just consistently seen those, especially in the last number of years. I think for Peter, he was feeling it. I think he was discouraged because even though he's a professional fisherman, he hasn't caught anything. I think he's tired and worn out and he's stayed up all night long. He's physically exhausted. He's frustrated. You can hear it, I think, in the story frustrated with the circumstances, frustrated with the timing of Jesus coming. Now he wants to go fish. Anxious, because why would the next time be any different than the last time? He's been fishing all night. He just got his nets put away. Now he's got to get them back out. And, and why would this time be different than the last time? And so he says to Jesus, we've been out all night fishing. We haven't caught anything. And, and again, I think he's expecting Jesus to jump in and say, oh, all right, okay, fair enough. Hey, A for effort. What, you know, what can you do? But Jesus doesn't say anything. And so Peter finishes the sentence. But because you say so, we will let down the nets. I don't think he was excited. Because you say so, look, I think this is a terrible idea. But because you say so. I don't think it's gonna work but because you say so. I've tried it and tried it and tried it. I don't know why you think this time's gonna be different, but look, I'll try it one more time because you say so, we'll do it. I think people are gonna look at us when we go back out. They know we've been out fishing all night. They're good. Fish don't come in this time of the day. It's at night that you catch the fish. They don't come in in the heat of the day. They're gonna look at us and they're gonna think we don't know what we're doing, but because you say so. And his way not working led him to a humble dependence that is necessary for us to experience the connection that we're meant to have with Jesus. You cannot have that connection with Jesus unless you are humbly dependent on him and you don't get to be humbly dependent on him until you begin to recognize that your way isn't working and that you can't depend on yourself and you can't depend on people sometimes and on science sometimes and on politics sometimes, like you, or your money sometimes, like you can't do that. And, and when you recognize your humble dependence, it makes way for a deeper connection. And so I, I think Peter's probably a little bit frustrated, same, hey Jesus, it's the same boat, it's the same nets, it's the same lake, it's the same fish, it's the same marriage. It's the same teenagers, right? It's, it's the same. It, why would it be any different this time? And here's why it was different. Because this time, Jesus was in the boat, right? This time, there's a connection. Before, it was just about the production. Now, there's connection. And when Jesus is in the boat, this time is always gonna be different than the last time. And, and so he finds himself in this place. His way's not working. Now he's with Jesus. He casts his nets out again. And, and if you know the story, they pull in all the fish, like, like pretty much all of them. Like they, they, the, the fish just overload the boat. And, and verse eight tells us how Peter responds. When he saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, fell at, fell at his feet. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. His way wasn't working. 
And be honest, I think he, he was doing things Jesus' way reluctantly. And he's just kind of broken about it. That yes, he was doing it, but it wasn't because he wanted to. It's because he felt like he had to, and, and yet he still experienced God's grace, even though, even though he was just being obedient, even when his heart wasn't feeling it. And, and so he, I picture him falling at the feet of Jesus, and he's just surrounded by fish. Like just flopping all around him are these fish that show that Jesus did what he couldn't do. And so Peter is humbly dependent. He is repentant. And when you find your way not working, focus on the connection. Are you depending on Jesus or are you trying to do this out of your own strength? Are you spending as much time in prayer as you're trying to spend Googling a solution to your problem? Are you talking to Jesus about it as much as you're talking to the people around you? Like focus on that connection. Are you humbly dependent? Because things don't have to stay the same. And things don't have to be the way this time, the way they were the last time. It can be different. Um, last week, we were out of state due to a, um, a tragic, unexpected death in our family. When, when we got to the family's house, the, the man who died, he had some, a number of kids, but he also had a, a middle schooler and a high school kid, just beautiful, sweet, uh, really great kids. And we were sitting with them in their house, and I hear this, uh, hear a knock at the door. Are you expecting anybody? No. Well, who's, who's coming right now? Not a great time. I, but maybe it's a family member or friend, something, somebody just coming by to express condolences. And so one of them gets up and they go answer the door and I can't see the person at the door, but I overhear the conversation and, and um, he introduces himself. And when he introduces himself, I'm like, well, they don't know this guy. And so I, I, I get ready to stand up to tell the guy, hey, may, maybe come back another time. This isn't a good time. But before I had a chance to say anything, he, he said that he was from the church down the road. Just checking in on the family, making sure they had money for utilities, seeing if they needed some help with some unexpected funeral expenses. Later that evening, knock on the door. A lady from the church, arms full of food, can't stay, just wanted to bring by some food for the family. I want you to know that we're here for you. We're here for you. Next morning, the student pastor from the church shows up to mow the grass because it was pretty high. My uh, wife found out that was the student pastor from the church down the road mowing the grass, and she's like, he does not need to be doing that. And so that became my job. And <laughs> so I went out and introduced myself and told him, hey, and he had five kids. I'm like, you go home. I, I can do this, I think. And, um, and I said to him, hey, I, I know my family member who passed away wasn't really connected to the church, but thank you. And he affirmed that, that he wasn't really connected, but said something along the lines of, you know, even though he wasn't connected, we're, 
we're here. We sure want the family to know we're, we're here for them. And so is Jesus. That evening, I, I took the 12-year-old son to his baseball practice. He plays on a competition team. I knew he'd be spending a lot of time with the, the coach over the summer. And so I was just gonna pull the coach over to the side to talk to him and kind of let him know about some things that had happened and, and uh, ask him to keep an eye on, on him. When I talked to the coach initially, we made small talk. I said, you got a son on the team? He told me his son's name. It was a Bible name, but you know, that happens sometimes on accident. I said, you have other sons? He had two other sons, both of them Bible names. I'm like, you, I said, do you know you got three sons that have three obscure, fairly obscure Bible names? Yeah, he knew. <laughs> and I told him about some things and he said, I, I want you to know I'm a follower of Jesus. When I was his age, my dad died of alcoholism. I'll keep my eye, I'll keep my eye on him this season and for the next six years. Sometimes you don't know how much you need connection until your way just is clearly not working. And maybe that's where you're at. Like you have tried and you've worked at it and really you're quite skeptical even listening to me that this next time could be different than the last time, I get it. But I want you to know something. The church is here for you and so is Jesus. And this time doesn't have to be like the last time. Connection can make all of the difference. And so the invitation is to focus in on that connection that connection to Jesus, that connection with other people who will help you stay connected to him. If you feel so discouraged and defeated, if you just feel worn out and tired, fatigued, if you're frustrated and, 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 and so tired of feeling angry and upset, if, if you're anxious about all these things you can't control, it's about connection. You be the branch, let Jesus be the vine connect deeply with him, with one another. The church is here for you, and so is Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your grace that invites us to have this deep connection to you. We know that that is only possible, Jesus, because of your death on the cross, that you made a way for us to experience that, even though sin had separated us, that because of your grace, we can be connected. I pray that we would experience that deep connection today, that we wouldn't um, keep trying to produce our way out of it or work our way out of it, that we wouldn't keep living this, this life where we, we're always trying, but it just never seems to be working. I, I pray that you would let us be humbly dependent on you and you would allow our way not working to drive us to that kind of dependence and that kind of repentance and that you would demonstrate your power. Um, we would see the difference it makes when you're in the boat. So we need your help. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.